Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talk Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast on the internet, through the internet, because I'm not like Brian Conley. I do not have a magical mystery tour. I don't drive to every match that I can, but it's okay because this is what I enjoy doing. Uh, sitting down with me tonight is the guy who is crazy enough to try to build open P320s and have awesome triggers. It's Dan Feltyberger. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Um, I wouldn't say this has been one in the making, but it kind of has because it was on the back burner in my brain and enough people made me remember it. So it's all good. We finally got Mr. Dan on the show and we're going to talk everything that we want to talk about. I, I don't even know. Uh, first of all, I, um, I, I will send my condolences to you. I'm sorry about your nationals experience in 2023 with a, uh, and having to switch guns. What, how many stages in? Uh, I was on my sixth stage. I finally gave up on trying to make the, uh, open 320 run successfully. It's okay. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I do feel bad for you because I, I think I even sent you a message. I'm like, oh man, that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, it was not the experience I wanted. Actually, neither of my nationals this year this year went particularly well. I went to CO Nats that I definitely did not perform the way I wanted to. The the weather was a part of it, but just mentally I wasn't there. And then uh, open Nats, I was trying to bring it back home, and it did it did not happen. Uh, so I tried. Yeah. So Dan, for people who don't know you, um, who are you, and how did you get into shooting? Sure. So uh, for folks that don't know me on Instagram, I have an account called Sussex Gunworks um, and another one called Good Guys Guns New Jersey. So I, I run a gun store here in New Jersey um, and uh, work with two others in the area that are also named Good Guys Guns uh, in New York and on Long Island. And, you know, I got into shooting, I guess, competitive shooting probably about 2018 was my first USPSA match, if memory serves me right. I had never shot competition before that. Um, good friend of mine that I work with, I still work with him to this day, said, hey, you should, should come out and shoot with us. And um, sort of the rest is history. Uh, I started with a SIG 226 and said that was the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. I did that in production for a little while. And um, yeah, I did matches on and off for the first year and a half, two years. And then uh, I think the, the well, I was in grad school at the time too. So it was tough to really commit time to matches when I was still uh, doing night school and everything. But when that was done, I finally said, you know, 2020, late 2020 to 21, I started to really focus on it and, um, you know, really try to invest in myself and invest in the skills and, and do that. Um, through the way, developed an affinity for the SIG 320. I've run one of those since about 2019. Um, up until I'd say recently, I had been running one. And I think that's how people may know me or know of the company that I run. Um, you know, I got one said this just trigger is terrible, um, which I still stand behind the factory triggers garbage. Um, you know, especially coming from a two, two, six, uh, the reset one, it killed me. So it started in, in, uh, you know, few year experiment to figure out how I could improve it. And here we are. So that's, I turned it into a side business that turned into opening up a gun store. Um, so kind of, kind of interesting way it all works out. Yeah, no, that is definitely, uh it's for the better, right? You know, crappy triggers are crappy triggers. We can't stand for those. We are, we are trigger snobs at this point. But um, so when you got, yeah. <laughs> when you decided to go from the two two six to the the three twenty, was it a regular basic the round chunky three twenty, or was it like the Legion or the the X series? So I, I I was one of the earlier adopters of the X five before it was the Legion X five. So it was the actual original X five that didn't have all of that. And, um, you know, I thought it was a, a good way to get into it, optics ready and everything. And I'm sorry if you hear uh, squeaking. My dog is playing with her her squeak toy outside of my office here. And if it's coming through, I apologize. It's okay because dog noise is acceptable. If, if Steve Anderson can have dog noise, so can we. <laughs> and remember, all dogs are puppies. If anyone forgot that from last week's episode, all dogs are puppies. Yeah, she is a 14-year-old Dutch Shepherd that still thinks she is a puppy, even though she's deaf and uh, half-blind, but she's still out there squeaking her little squeak toy. <laughs> hey, that's that's the best life. Belly rubs, snacks, and squeaky toys. Who, who, that's who it. complain? No, but uh, that – so you said you know, it was before the Legion came out, so you you were you were OG um, X5, so that's pretty – I was. 
I still I still have that one. Um, I think it's at my my gun store now. I have it sitting in a drawer somewhere because it turned into an experimental piece where I did a, a whole bunch of stuff. That was the first slide I used in an open build when I was uh, first toying around with that idea. Which is a st funny story of how that that whole idea came to be. It's, uh, I'll explain a little bit, but. Yeah, it was one of the original X5s. Um, I liked it because of the cost. I thought it was a good gun to get because you could put an optic on it. Silly me. I bought the one that only fit the Romeo 1, which is Sig's uh, lame attempt at a first optic offering, I'll say nicely. Um, so, you know, I had to move on from there and bought other slides and stuff. And I think I've got four or five 320s that, that are through the shop as R&D guns that I shoot for matches and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that is definitely cool. Um 320 is definitely uh, an interesting beast of a platform, you know, from the originals, you know, the nobody liked it. And then the M17 came out that then, then everyone started loving it again, you know, the competition guns. And then I don't know if the military gun came out first or was it before or after they had the, the, the drop, they, they found out if you dropped it. Yeah, it was, I think it was. I don't have a gun with me in here. All of my stuff is at my shop, and I'm not there tonight. But um, yeah. yeah, they found it. I think somebody was doing testing. If you dropped it right on the the back edge of the the slide, right where the beaver tail on the slide meet, if you hit that on the ground at a certain angle, the trigger shoe was actually heavy enough to overcome the the spring and set the trigger off on its own. Because the, the triggers don't have sort of a um, step safety or anything like that that like a Glock would have or anything like that or a hinge mm -hmm. trigger. They don't have anything like that. Um, so, you know, not ideal, but they, they did, uh, I think they had that voluntary, voluntary upgrade. And I, I kid you not, that was in, it was at 2017. I think they identified that and, uh, started that correction. And I still occasionally see one come through the shop that has not been upgraded. And I promptly will not work on it and say, nope, that's going back to SIG first. Mm -hmm. And then I'm assuming it'll, they'll send it back to you and then you'll work on it. Yeah. Then at that point I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might as well. Might take the liability out of it, out of your hands, right? That's it. And, and you know, I, the work I do doesn't work with that the old style trigger shoe anyway. It just isn't going to fly with that design. So, you know, you need the new setup and I want the safeties in the system. I, you know, they added the disconnector and, and the striker safety, which I think are very important. Um, and I know you had Rob on last week, uh, clarify, I do not disengage the striker safety. In fact, that's probably the, one of the most important things that I make sure for every gun I touch that I do not disengage that. Um, it's actually a common thing. A lot of people do with those dual adjustable triggers you can buy like uh, armory craft and all the other ones, I over adjust them. And then, you know, they're not, they're not safe at that point. So I'm very careful not to do that. And, and I check it on every gun that I touch. Yeah. He just knows you put your magical wizardry in it. It makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely do some of that. Right. Yeah. So, so let me, let me, let me my questions because I'm going to forget what I really want to talk about, but we'll get there as it is. So when you got in the sport, did somebody get, did you find it miraculously by yourself or, you know, did you stumble upon it or how, how did that end up being? Yeah, so I'd, I'd never heard of it before. Um, you know, it was a coworker of mine, Dan, who a uh, guy I still work with today, real good guy. He, uh, he, he and I had gotten friendly through a project we were working on at, at work and he had said, Hey, I shoot competitively. We talked about guns at the time. I was more of a rifle shooter and more into you know hunting than I was competitive shooting. And, you know, he, he'd said, Hey, why don't you come out to the local match? We do them in New Jersey first Saturday of every month. And I said, we, we do this in Jersey. Like that's a thing. Um, could have fooled me, right? I would never have thought that's something that you do in New Jersey, but sure enough it is. And, uh, it's called Shongram Sportsman's Association, uh, just outside of Hackettstown, New Jersey. And that, Went to the first match there, and, and I was hooked after the first one. I said, "This is awesome! I want to keep doing this." I didn't DQ the first time I was there, so that was a, that was a plus. Um, didn't do anything super dumb. Mm -hmm. Had fun. Yeah, and that's all you can ask for is having fun and not DQing. I mean, I just speaking, I you know, on the show, or I don't know if I I talked about it on my live stream and all, but uh, you know, I took my wife to her first match. You know, she shot a P three twenty X five carry Legion. Yep. You know, so not a terrible gun. Um, it still has some downsides for her, but uh, nevertheless, we'll, we'll overcome them. But, you know, she had fun. She shot what she could shoot, and uh, she didn't DQ. That was like that was the whole point. So you're here to have fun. Yeah. Don't DQ. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, I tell that to everybody when we have new shooters. Everyone's like, you know, because we have a couple of very high-level shooters, a couple of GMs that will shoot our match, and these guys that just go super fast. And, you know, I always tell people, don't, don't try to replicate what you're seeing these people do. That's how you do something silly. Like, you know, be safe, be slow, be careful, right? The, the, the thing here today is to have fun and go home when everyone else does, not early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, 
it sucks to be the guy to have to send somebody home, but it's also, uh, you know, educating them, but not making them feel like degraded about it too. It's like, this is what happened yep. today, but you know, we're going to learn from this and move on. It's not, not the end yeah. of the world. You always can come back next time. It's, it's. That's it. I mean, we had a guy DQ the first three matches he came to for the same reason, you know, hammer back safety off right into the holster. Even though we tried stopping him all three times, he still managed to get it all the way in the holster. And we're like, come on, man, you got to You got to work on not doing that. So we told him go buy a SIG 320 and stop shooting this easy shadow too until you get that built into your mind. So there's zero chance you DQ yourself for that. Mm-hmm. And he did. See, there you go. See, you know, and some people just need, you know, they don't need that fancy gun. They just need something that goes bang like a Glock or an MMP or a SIG. You know, you don't have to worry about a safety. You don't have to worry about your hammer. Just make sure your fingers off to the bank, off the bank switch. That's it. Well, and I've seen like a couple of my buddies locally. They got competition guns, like competition guns, like Canix or Shadow Twos, and they're just like, "This is just not for me. I love this sport, but I this gun is not for me." And they went back to whatever their duty grade pistol was anyway, and now they're having a blast again. So that's always cool. Yep. But um, so you know. Uh, we talked a little bit, you, you know, you're an early adopter with a P320. Um, when the, when the legions came out, did you automatically upgrade or did you piecemeal them or just kind of wait it out? I, you know, I've, to this day, I've still never bought a full legion. I've always just piecemealed them together. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm an engineer, right? So I'm a tanker. That's just my nature. I don't like to buy stuff pre-done. Um, you know, Shadow 2, I think, would be the only exception to that. I did recently pick up a Shadow 2 and a 2011 that were pre-done, right? But Shadow 2, I've already done work to. And, and 2011, I've taken apart. That's just the nature of it. Um, but over the years, I bought more FCUs and just sort of built the things out to be a Legion. Um, I think the only time I really went nuts is when SIG had the, I think it was a Max Michelle slides available, special run of them with the gold barrel. And uh, I ended up picking up one of those for the pure reason that it had the cutout for the Romeo 3XL. It's the only reason I did it because, you know, that's the only slide that comes with that cut, and I was too lazy to send it out somewhere, and I didn't want to put it into my mail and screw up a slide, so I ended up just buying uh, buying one that way, and that's the only, like, Legion thing I've ever actually bought. So I bought stuff for the shop, but not for me personally. Right, right. Now, um, I'm kind of curious, um, with your tungsten grip modules, have you ever thought about sending them, or have you sent them to uh, Aaron English out of uh, South Carolina? What's he no, I'm not familiar with him. What's so, he do with him? So he does some really cool like grip modifications, you know, like uh you know, he really makes that magwell into a magwell for, you know, like a carry optics. Oh yeah. Like, does a really nice, you know, beveling and making it really nice and smooth and perfect and fixing some of the geometries up on the frame. Well on the grip, it's not the frame. Because the frame's inside, but yeah. it's over there. But he does some really cool work. Uh if you haven't um Aaron English uh AE shooting, I want to think he is on there, and he's doing he, he he paused grip work for a while, so I I didn't know if you actually have ever seen any of his, but very big down in I haven't. Carolina. That's good to know. I mean, I uh, actually for Rob, I did a couple uh, of similar setups for him. So I do silicon carbiding at the shop. Um, I did two for him, and I've, I've done a bunch of others for other people. Um, and I've done some magwell enhancements. So I take the internal magwell, flare it out, and make it you know as wide as you possibly can, given the the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. Um, even like I have one in the shop I'm doing now, a guy wanted a, an X5 grip cut down to a carry length, but with a manual safety, which SIG doesn't sell on their own. At least I don't believe they do. So I took a full size one, threw it in the mill, cut it up and, and did all the stuff to make it work. So like, you know, I, it's interesting to know other people do that. I think there's definitely a market for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the best part about, you know, the, the, the grip module is not, is not an, it's not a regulated part. That's the best thing is like, you can buy yep. them and sh- ship them wherever and be like, it's a hunk of plastic. So I mean, if you screw it up, like, <laughs> yeah, it's always one of those two, like, you know, as a, as the shop, right, I get people send me stuff in sometimes. And at least if you're doing silicon carbide on a 320 and for whatever reason, if you screw up or, or a customer knocks on the door while the epoxy's curing or something, like, it, it's a $200 mistake. Do it on a Glock, it's a $700 mistake, right? Because there's no replacing just the lower frame, um, not easily at least. So, yeah, I, I, that is definitely a plus. And that's why they're nice to work on. They're more forgiving if you screw up. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. They're very much more forgiving. It's not like, not like a Glock you said, or you mess up a, like a part of your, uh, like a 2011 and you're like, well, great. Not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got to go call Chile for another $650 set of steel grips, right? <laughs> yeah. CCgunworks.com. That's, that's a trick. No, Matt's a good dude though. Honestly, um, I've been to his shop, I've been to his shop once and met his, uh, shop dog, a little vicious, a little <laughs> thing. It's so, you know, it's like, it's always the smallest dogs. It's, yeah, it's like it was a miniature. I think it's a it was it's a min pin. 
the thing is mm-hmm. so so short and so little skinny legs and it's like bark 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 i'm so vicious i'm like you are not scary dog <laughs> like go back and lay down <laughs> on your your warm little bed <laughs> but it's no, funny dogs have the complex yeah they, they always it seems like all the little dogs do and it's it's just funny but it's just also like big dogs they have that big that little uh, the little baby personality they're just like i'm so cute yeah. i will cuddle and lay on your lap even though i'm a horse mm-hmm. but um oh, where is it going with this oh so when you were when you got in the sport um you started in 2018 did you jump into carry optics right away well after production was it carry optics right away or did you linger there for a while i only shot production for one year i think i made d-class in production like I, I never really focused on it um i did shoot area 8 in 2019 as uh as production and happened to take home the d-class production title of area 8 which i'm still very proud of um everyone makes fun of me for that but i still hold on to it i thought it was quite comical um, if i was in my though? basement it's at my shop actually yeah it's at it's at the gun store i have it hanging on the wall there along with a couple other ones i've gotten over the years but uh, that one that one was funny and i shot that alone i didn't know a single person on the squad all the guys locally that i shoot with shot on saturday I ended up shooting on sunday because I, I i think i set up for the match very late it was at Antalani out in pennsylvania um so imagine a guy like me coming from jersey only shooting a local match i had never shot anything else in the local match we shoot is uh i'd say very two-dimensional uh you know we we have a pretty like we have a rifle bay that's set up that we put up stages on and a little pistol pit and with the two you, you're sort of limited as to how much you can really get creative with like running in running out and all that there's only so much you know real estate you have to work with and then i go out and go to the uh the match known for all of their shenanigans and all the different kinds of uh stuff that vicky and anthony set up it was uh it was a wild experience for my first major thankfully didn't dq myself and uh somehow managed to win production d class um and that was i think the last match i shot that season the next year i had the 320 and i started shooting into carry optics shortly thereafter mm-hmm. um, and decided that was more of my style right. that's why i shot for for three and a half years uh the first i shot limited once or twice in there to mess around with it so like I think it was 2020. I built a, a Legion in 40 cal, which I, at the time no one had. I think I was one of the first people to really build one that actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know like Mason had built one, and, and um, Phil Strader had one done by Greg Gonza. So I, there was others out there, but I, I built one early on, the five inch barrel and everything. And um, I thought it was an interesting idea, and, and I realized that I'm not good with the bumpy things. I, I don't have the visual patience for that, and said, you know what, back to dot life, <laughs> and shot CO ever since. Right. Well, and like I make fun of everybody, I'm like, how did the bumpy things work again? I, I always say that every time hands me someone's hands me a gun with irons, I'm like, I don't know what this thing is. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I know what the gun is, but it's always like, what, 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 is, what is this shit? I don't see no glowy thing on top. I can't work this. <laughs> You'll, you'll laugh. The last time I shot iron sights at a match was uh, I shot my Glock 20 from concealment because I felt like being a, a silly person and said 10 mil from concealment is, is definitely the way to go with a full size, full size Glock 20. And, you know, I shot reasonably well with it. I'll be a managing recoil if that's a little silly, like double taps are not not what you want them to be. It's like, you know, target high dirt, you know, <laughs> like right. a little bit going on there. Did you have uh, brass chickens following you around with like a butterfly net to catch your brass? <laughs> um, no, because no one else shoots ten mil. <laughs> Not well, we, by me. I'll tell this story. In my home club, Oak Hill, Oak Hill Gun Club, we have a guy for years. God, I got these hiccups, guys. It's horrible. But uh, this guy who shoots um, a Glock forty, I think that's the ten mil, like the really long. That's the lo- the longest. I have one at the shop. They're just so, silly a Glock 40 in with in carry optics and he's shooting it and it's, we're like, Ooh, 10 mil. Ooh, 10 mil. Like we, like, I mean, I re you know, we reload out of necessity, but I'll pick up the 10 mil and whatnot. Um, and then just throw them at some of the guys who actually care about it. It's like, here's here. You owe me like five bucks because I picked it up. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I think we finally, I I don't have to shoot nine mil though. Yeah, it's just not the right – if you have it and it works and it's all you got, that's fine. But my God, at least – if you're going to do at least put 40 cal through it, you can run 40 Smith & Wesson through a Glock 10. A little rough on the extractor, but you can get away with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done that just to mess around. I wouldn't – please don't hear me as saying that's a recommendation to anyone. I'm not, I'm not looking for the emails and the lawsuits, but uh, I know it can be done. Yep. 
feel bad. There's probably someone probably make well, they might make a conversion barrel for it too, just to be for the shits and giggles. Barstow does. Barstow makes. I mean, that's I use them for all the barrel work I do for the open guns. They they do a lot of. They'll they'll make anything you want. Frankly speaking, right? Yeah. And recently, what was it? End of or the middle of last year? You finally decided you're going to dabble or switch to open. Uh, so I, it's. I think the story of how I got into open is kind of comical, right? So I think it was 2021. I think it was 2021. Uh, a bunch of guys I shoot with locally, they call themselves and me as part of it, the shenanigans squad. And the, the title is very appropriate. Um, we we were looking at matches to do and a few guys said, hey, why don't we go shoot race gun nets? And I said, well, I don't have a race gun. So somebody in the group, Jason, made a comment to me. He's like, well, why don't you just build a 320 open gun? And that that sent me and my engineer brain on a on an adventure. And first I started with a slide ride gun and then um, I built a full frame mounted open gun. Um it went through a lot of iterations over the last couple of years, but that's when I first started messing around with it. And I did it on and off here and there. Um, still with CO was my primary. Mm-hmm. And then this past year, I wanted to really, um, after CO Nats, because it was early in the year, I wanted to switch to open after that and run the 320 open gun as far as I could. Um, I ran it at Dragon's Cup two years ago. Um, I mean, ran fine the whole match. Uh, you know, I've, I think I had one of them had like ten or eleven thousand rounds through it before of nine major before the plastic grip finally cracked, and then I switched to the aluminum grip after that. Oh, like the AXG grip? Yeah, that was the one. I like. If, I haven't built one in a while for somebody. The last one I built was for a local guy here that was looking for one. Um, you know, they're they're one of those things that the price point of building one is they're not super cheap just because things parts are not cheap to to start with. And um, the barrel work and everything to get it all to actually support nine majors, not exactly the easiest thing to do. Um, but, you know, now I would only do it in, in an aluminum grip or, you know, the Brower steel grip is interesting. I've talked to those guys quite a bit. I saw them out at SHOT Show. So I'm going to send a note to them to have have one made that doesn't have the pockets they cut in it so I can build an open frame based on it and see how that behaves. The steel frame should be ideal for that. Um, but the aluminum framework, fine too. I had no issues with that. Um, the only issues I've ever had with the damn thing was magazines. Getting them to feed was always the issue. That's what stopped me at, at Open Nats this past year. The magazines just would not feed. Um, and it's it's one of those things that, you know, everyone says, why don't you check it? Well, being in New Jersey, I can't check a high cap mag. Uh, there's nowhere to go. Uh, even as an FFL, I'm allowed to have them, but I still can't, can't just go to the local indoor range and drop 30 rounds through a magazine. They're not going to be friendly with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the first time I ever ran the mags was at nationals and well, they did not work. Yeah. Now, if now here's my question, if you decided to only run one forties, would it have been a better situation? It, it, it was helping it. So I, most of the issue I had was the followers I was using just didn't have enough support. So the round was dipping into the, um, into the magazine rather than into the feed ramp. And part of that's because I use a very light recoil spring on that gun deliberately. And it just, it's coming back too fast. Um, and it's just pushing around down rather than up. So it's a mix between spring tension not being enough. And I had the wrong type of follower in it. Um, a guy on my squad had another open 320. I had built a good friend of mine and his, his ran fine with the magazines. He had another issue with the uh, ejection pattern being erratic um, that we figured out what the issue was with that after the match, unfortunately, but neither of the two we took ran particularly well. Uh, what are you going to do? That's what, that's what R and D is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and then being the pain in the butt having to go to Chrono either multiple times or here's my pile of guns I've touched. <laughs> so, you know, I, again, I love this sport, right? So I was, I, I have to give a shout out to, uh, you know, obviously Brandon's one of my, my squad mates and his wife, Emily, they, they happen to bring an extra venom custom with them. Uh, Cause you know, they have free cause that's, that's what people do. Um, and they handed me yeah, exactly right. Well, they, <laughs> and they, they just had a kid. Re- well, not from now. It's if he's probably about a year or more now, right? Isn't he? Uh, Lucas is just over two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. It's been um, a minute then. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. I will present. Yeah. Em- Emily is someone worth talking to. If you haven't talked to her on the show, I think she, her, her dedication to the sport and, and her involvement in it, I think is really cool. And, and obviously her husband, Brandon's a phenomenal shooter. He wins almost every match he shoots at. Um, so between the two of them, she's a phenomenal shooter and they're just great people. So, you know, they, uh, they finally convinced me to stop trying to shoot the 320 after I, I thought I fixed it and then had another stage where it just shit the bed. So at that point, they handed me their open gun. Another guy on the squad, uh, he gave me his his holster and rig that didn't fit me, so I had to go figure that out. And then, uh, 
you know, the range master Russ grabbed me and gave me a ride up to Chrono to go get stuff sorted out there. Unfortunately, I didn't Chrono the gun, so I shot the entire three-day match and didn't know if I was going to make Chrono until the very last stage. Chrono was like our second to last stage. <laughs> so I was a little bit nerve-wracking. So I'm shooting my ammo through another person's gun that I had never shot it with. Thankfully, it made power factors like 174 through the 320 and like 168 through his uh, Venom Customs. So it worked, right, you, thankfully. You I'm assuming you didn't have popple holes in your open gun. It was just ports. Yeah, it was just ports. Um, yeah, five inch barrel with ports, and then uh, his gun was a five inch barrel with I think three popple holes or four. I can't remember how many, and I, I knew it would bleed feet feet per second. I wasn't sure how many. Thankfully, not that many. I was shooting uh, Everglades that they make the uh, 124 grain nine major, so that's what I had been running. Mm-hmm. Um, worked well for for what it was. Yeah. I, and that's always the risky business, right? Of even anybody trying to offer like nine major, because no one can ever certify it because of the problem is all guns are different. No, there's no, this is an open gun. <laughs> yeah. And, and Everglades is interesting. They, they make nine major, right? But it's, it's semi overall length. So uh, you have to be careful because it'll fit, it'll chamber in a regular gun if you're, if you've got a, a chamber that's cut a little deep. Uh, so you don't need to throw at them all the time. And that's always a concern with that from a safety point of view. It also means the pressure is crazy high in those things. So uh, I know people like to say that SIGs blow up and I know I've seen a ton of it online. I mean, I've got probably 15, 20,000 rounds of nine majors through a, it was a Barstow barrel, mind you, but same basic design. Mm-hmm. I've never seen an issue with it personally. Right. So, um, so speaking of now, like, you know, they finally just, Brandon and Emily just, you know, made you finally see the light. Right. And I saw you shoot did. a video of, uh, you know, a true 2011. What is, what is your open gun at this point then? Um, so I have a 2011. It's a, it's a custom build based on Chile frame and grip, um, done by a guy down in Alabama. It was a competition sports solutions. I think is the name of it. I bought it secondhand, but the guy down there built it. Phenomenal build. Looks a lot like an Atlas, um, runs 38 super comp. Um, you know, I, I, I was pretty resistant to buy a 2011 at first, and it was mainly because I, I was sort of convinced I wanted to run the 320 open gun. And, and I think it's still a viable platform if I want to spend a little more time figuring out magazines. Like, I think that's the only real piece I had. Like, longevity of the frame and slide and all that stuff and safety, I'm not worried about any of that stuff. They make them in 357 SIG, which is just as hot as 9 Major, so I'm not really concerned about that. Um, and with the aluminum grip, grip, I wasn't worried about longevity of the grip holding up or anything like that. But uh, I got 2011 mainly because I said, well, I own a gun store. I do gunsmithing work. I should probably learn how to work on 2011s because it seems to be an underserved market. Um, there's you know not many people that work on them. So I figured out oh, why not? It's a good good investment for the shop and for myself. And then I shot it and said, holy crap, this thing's amazing. Um, 38 Super Comp's a whole nother world. That gun runs so flat, it's crazy. I, I think the first time I ever took it out, I, I, almost, I think it was like top five at Anzalani, which is crazy because I've... Yeah, I don't normally do that well there, and I, I had never shot that gun before, and also took off my thumbnail in the process because you know, thumb high don't work with the racker. Yeah, that's definitely when, especially when I switched to an open gun, that was the trick, right? Is keep your damn thumb out the fucking way because that's gonna. Well, yeah, I got a, I got the I got the really low zig racker. I can't. I, they never have the the, the tall one in, in oh, stock. Like so one day I'll bend it. I, yeah, that's what it's called. I, they, I can never find them in stock, so I have the, the low boy, which is fine like 88% of the time, but I need to bend it up just a hair. I just haven't gotten around to it. All my uh, all my aluminum parts for the gun are out with Chris Galnick and uh, anodized for like the third time or something like that. We had some issue with the anodizer. So mm, I can't yeah. shoot the gun yet, unfortunately. I haven't shot it since, I think, December. Oh, yeah. So besides you bought it secondhand, did you really want 38 Super Comp? Or, or was it just because it I don't, was available? I don't reload, so I just don't have the patience for it. Um, and I, I just don't have the time, quite frankly, right now. Um, I think I used to, but with the, the store and my full-time job, I just don't have enough enough time to, to really invest in it. And I don't want to buy like a Mark 7 and really get into the, the, the money with it. It's just the amount I shoot, I just didn't make sense. So I figured if I'm going to go all in, I might as well go in with the best, right? 38 Super Comp just runs better than 9 Major, right? And, you know, it, it's a it's better for what you're trying to do with it. It's just more in tune for it. And it's easier on the gun. Um, the barrels, the frames, the slides, they'll last a little bit longer. Just the chamber pressure is lower. Um, that's why I went that way. And if you look at 38 Super Comp versus 9 Major commercially available, it's about the same price. Um, mm-hmm. A lot more than reloading, but I, I, you know, not a not a variable that I needed to consider. Right, yeah. And and, and honestly, it's pro- you know safer case volumes and uh, you know, all around a yeah, little bit this- better. 
Yeah, and John from Outdoor Dynamics sent me a couple to try uh, when he was building up his recipe for for you know 38 Super Comp, and that stuff was wild. I mean, it ran great, ran hot. Uh, you know, 174 felt great. Gun was flat. Um, I haven't run more of it yet because I still have other stuff I got to burn through. But once I'm through that, I'll be buying from John. His stuff is great. Yeah, he and, he and he does everything he can to support shooting sports. Uh, speaking of John yep. and Outdoor Dynamics, make sure you use the code Manny for five percent off your order because we got to show we got to support and show him uh, how awesome I do at uh, supporting and uh, marketing him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so go check him out, guys. Uh, definitely a good dude. Um, I did get a picture. I mean, you, this might not be relevant at the time, but I got a really cool picture of something that's coming that everybody wants in their order. So just tell John you want the special secret sauce and. You might get it. <laughs> Very nice. But uh but yeah, so yeah, you're shooting the open gun now. But oh lord. But if you were you're perfect three twenty, right? If you're gonna make if you're gonna brand a three twenty and call it, you know, the Sussex Gunworks full build kit out, what is that pistol? Yeah, I actually think it's a limited optics gun, right? I think that's what I found to be the best use case for that firearm. Um, I built a limited optics setup and you you don't have to go nuts with it to, to get there, right? But um, I make like a thumb rest specific for 320s that's mounted to the frame. It's not one of the ones that's a takedown lever safety, uh, takedown lever, I'm sorry, thumb rest, which they're, they're, they're nice and all, but they're generally not in the right spot for most people. They're a little too far back. So I have one that mounts directly to the frame. And if you're in limited optics, you can, excuse me, you can do that. That with some brass and some tungsten goodies. I mean, that gun, I ended up, I said third place at area eight in limited optics with that gun right behind um i think tim harris at one or two percent behind him and a few behind shane coley and i mean i'm not that good so the gun helped right i think that gun would be my ideal gun so it's a tungsten frame a tungsten grip i'm sorry the tht grip the brass magwell from springer precision uh the tungsten grip insert the tungsten guide rod um any of the legion x5 uppers are fine you don't have to go crazy and then the thumb rest that i have i think that that combo ran absurdly well for me um, everyone I've handed it to has loved it. And, uh, that gun's not that pricey to build for, for the all being considered. Like, you know, talking, if you were going to look at a 2011 slide ride, 2011, you're, the entry in that's like 3,500 or four grand. Um, you can build a full 320 for limited optics for, you know, 1,500, if you have an optic a little more, if you're going to add the optic, but so be it. Right. Yeah. And honestly, it's going to be popular. You know, limited optics is going to be the new hotness. I don't know how they're going to figure out how they're going to split everything or keep it together, you know, keep them separate together. I don't know. But uh, it's going to grow in popularity, right? I don't necessarily know if it's yeah. going to take away from – it might take a little bit from carry optics, but it's definitely going to take from open. Um, although people say open's going to be dead, and I say bullshit because people still want to shoot the flattest, fastest guns, and, you know, they want to drag race. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna shoot open. And people like to flaunt their money, right? It doesn't matter, right? People, people, you know, there's still a market for people spending six to 10 grand on it, on a gun, and they're not going to let it sit in the safe. They want to run it and they want to show it off, right? So mm -hmm. no better place. Well, and I is a broke bitch, but I have an open gun. <laughs> I, and I believe me, they're not, they're not cheap. I was thankful I got one on the used market because there's no way in hell I was spending seven or eight grand. I actually was going to build one before I, I found to find this particular gun. I was just going to build my own. I mean, I have the equipment to do it. I just have never really spent the time to, to get into it. And local guy here knows how to uh, walk me through the process in case I, I do something dumb, um, which helps. Right. Having a guy to help you out when you're dumb, that is always the good part, right? That's how, I mean, that's how we all learn, right? Right. Exactly. So why did you decide to get into the FFL space? Um, ironically, it started through this trigger work. I, you know, I, I was doing the trigger work sort of on the side and you really can't do too much of that and make money on it with the, the way the ATF's rules are. So I did a couple of freebies early on and said, okay, I think there's something to this. Um, and found a, a store in New York that was willing to work with me. So I did some, you know, just, you know, per diem work out of their store for people for a while. And, you know, through that, <clears throat> through that relationship sort of realized, Hey, we have a mutual interest here. Um, they liked what I was doing. I liked the idea of getting into the, the industry and they said they needed a store in, in New Jersey. And I said, well, okay, well, I live in New Jersey. Let's see how we make this happen. And a year, almost two years later, I finally was able to get a store opened up, uh, last year. Um, the, the zoning and all that in this state is not simple to work with, to put it nicely. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it took a while. I tried to do it out of my house, um, you know, home FFLs, but New Jersey kind of shot that down pretty, pretty harshly. Um, so I ended up needing to find a storefront. So I do have a small, uh, small shop. I mean, it's a, it's nothing crazy, but it's something, something to start with. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, 
not that there's not, but there's a lot of, at least I think there's a lot of, uh, at least where I live in Michigan, a decent amount of people have FFLs in, you know, running out of their home. But it, it's kind of nice when you can have the separation, you know, you're not all your crap. You don't have to worry about well, this safe is mine and this safe is the, the shops. And it's like the shop safe is at the shop. Yeah. And, and just security and safety, right? Like, you know, they're two separate entities um, from a liability point of view. It's two separate things. So like there's a true separation of, of personal and private and uh, corporations. So it's a corporation I have that runs all of that. So I'm very deliberate to keep a clean separation of all that stuff. Um, you know, this is a litigious society and firearms are something that are litigated heavily. And I, um, sooner or later, I'll get pulled into something, right? I just need to make sure that I got my uh, got myself protected. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially since you live in New Jersey and you have silly magazine restrictions and a silly place to work <laughs> with a terrible airport. <laughs> yeah, they tell me about it. Um, yeah, our regulations here are so silly, the stuff I have to deal with. Even I had a customer buy a Smith & Wesson M&P 22 the other day, and even that in New Jersey is technically considered an assault weapon. So I have to go do all sorts of stuff to make it New Jersey legal. It's just so silly. Like, you know, it's a 22, guys. Calm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was funny. I took a trip to uh, New Jersey for a work for a work. Well, I went to I was going to Allentown, Pennsylvania, which didn't know is twenty miles from Montalani. And now you missed out. Uh, yeah, and it was in December. I'd been like, oh, this would have been cool if this was during the shooting season. I would have been like, I'm going to Montalani, y'all. <laughs> I think that's the. I think if I recall, the most popular USPSA match in the country. Um, I saw some some article that was put out not that long ago in terms of average attendance. I think there's 200 people a month that shoot that match or close to it. Um, it's I mean it's a major it's it's literally a sectional match every month. It's wild. They do such a good match there. Um, I'm fortunate to have it two hours from my house. Yeah, that's oh, so you're like all the way up in probably what Northern Jersey then? Yeah, I live in a town called Sparta. Um, so I'm uh, yes, I know Sparta. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, everyone does it. Um, yeah, so I'm up in that area. It's up in the very northern sort of, I'll call it mountainous area of New Jersey. Um, so it's it's a it's a nice area, nice place to live. It's not terribly close to Newark, which is good. Uh, it's a good 45 minutes from there, but close to the PA border and York border, frankly. I mean, we're I'm sort of in this weird spot where we've got matches in of all places, Staten Island. Uh, Staten Island holds two USPSA matches a month, which you told me on one of the boroughs of Manhattan or one of the boroughs of New York city, there would be two USPSA matches. I tell you, you were crazy, but there are two of them and they hold a major match there every year. Uh, yeah. It's a wild setup, how it works. Uh, and the, the whole 10 round thing is comical there for a major. Um, you've got lips out on Long Island. They're about three hours from me, but they hold some phenomenal matches out there out in the Hamptons, which again, where would you think you'd be a USPSA match out in the Hamptons? No, but there is, um, there used to be a USPSA matchup in BlackRock, New York, but I, I think the guy who runs that, Mike Shadilov, really good GM, great guy. Uh, I think he is uh, doing hit, hit factor matches now. Um, I won't get into that further. And then uh, Antolani and a couple other PA matches aren't that far. So we, North Jersey's a weird spot. You get a lot of good matches. I think there's like 10, I counted, or 11 monthly matches within the area. And some of them run, you know, run all year round. Like the local I go to runs year round. As long as it's not icy, we'll, we'll hold a match. Right. My biggest complaint about Jersey, well, besides that it's overpopulated, at least in Newark, is the fact that I can't pump my own gas. It absolutely yeah. drove me insane. Handing my we're credit the, card to somebody else. I think we're the only state now left. I think Oregon was the only other one, and I think they recently changed it last year or the year before. So I think we're now the, the only state that still uh, requires an attendant to pump fuel. Um, and I still don't listen to it. When I take my car out, I, I do not let people pump gas in that thing, um, mainly because I've had people put the wrong type of fuel in it, which is not, not bueno. Um, so I'm not, not about that. Yeah, especially if you got a high performance car or, or something. That, yeah, you, you don't. I've got a supercharged Mustang, so the last thing I need is somebody putting regular fuel in that thing. It ain't gonna run, um, and that's how you send you send a, a rod to space, and I'm not doing that. Yeah, so you're one of those weird. You'll have to get out, and be like, no, I'm pumping my gas. Leave me be. <laughs> Pretty much, I'm like, I got it. Thanks. Yeah, here's your five bucks. Leave me alone. <laughs> Go back to your. There, they, they, I go to the place around the corner. They know me. They don't give me a hard time, and oh, you know, well, that's they cool. know. I'll, they, they, they get the gist, right? Most people know. Like bikers, too. Like, you're not going to have somebody on a on a Harley, like, pump the gas. No, no, no. The guy on the Harley is going to pump the gas, not somebody else. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. No, it was funny because when I went to Jersey, uh, I, I called the only Jersey resident I really know, Mr. Matt Hempel. 
you know. Oh yeah, that's a great guy. He didn't even answer the phone, and I said, "Your your state is crap. You know, I, I can't pump my own gas. Uh, nobody knows how to drive here. You're all they're freaking bunch of ding dongs." He didn't answer. It was okay. I left him a voicemail. He never called me back either. Yeah, Hempel's a great dude. I, I love that guy. Yeah, we we've talked duck hunting, cars, everything for for a long time. He's a great guy. Yeah, he just needs to. If he decided to just make content about fixing up shitty cars or whatever he does with his shitty cars, he'd be better off than when he if he was shooting at the moment. But <laughs> but it's no big deal. So at the shop in Jersey, like um, you know, it's full, it, I'm assuming it's a full service FFL, right? Yep. Yeah. We do sales transfers, um, gunsmithing work. Like I'll do just about anything. I just built a bunch of operas this weekend for someone made them Jersey legal. So break out the take welder and, and make all the muzzle devices permanent, you know, all the fun stuff. Um, I'm only open a couple days a week. Typically I work a couple nights and then I'm there most of the day Sunday. Eventually I'll, I'll get someone in to help me. But for right now, it's just a side gig for me and it's uh, full service. We try to do everything we can. Mm-hmm. Now, is it mostly getting things? Well, what do you sell? What do you, what do you bring in the most? I'm assuming then. <laughs> Show what you'd, you'd laugh. What I sell the most of is Springfield Hellcats. Um, people love those things. And uh, I think a lot of it's, I, I get a lot of, you know, new shooters. So New Jersey, right. Um, you know, with the Supreme court decision with concealed carry, New Jersey has been issuing concealed carry licenses for the first time, like ever. Um, and with world events, right. People are more interested in protecting themselves. So you get a lot of people coming in with their, you know, first purchase, they want to go get a CCW for the first time. And um, people seem to be very attracted to the Hellcat. It fits people's hands well. It's a relatively inexpensive gun. So that and 365s are what I sell the most of. Um, people just seem to like them. So for those, I don't have to do any compliance work. Those are nice. But then I get guys wanting to get full built ARs, which, you know, getting an AR in Jersey is fine, but it's got to have no features or only one feature and, and all that jazz. Yeah. So that's got to be disappointing. Uh, I'm a- uh, I guess I don't even want to dive down that. Well, I guess I'm curious. What's the feature that most people elect to keep then? Uh, the detachable box magazine and the pistol grip. That's the big one. Um, like New York, you, you can't have detachable box magazines and some automatic rifles. So, uh, people, you know, they don't have that option in Jersey. You can still have a fully functioning AR. Um, the main thing we, we do is we remove the adjustability of the stock. So you can't have a collapsible or telescoping stock in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't have accessible threads or a flash hider. So we put muzzle brakes on and weld them on and that's the end of that. And that's good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously the 10 round mag nonsense. <laughs> Silly 10 round bags. At least yeah. they're not, they're not like California that has like locked magazines and yeah, it's a pain in the butt. They're still locked. They still got to put pins in them or weld them or epoxy them or something like, you know, it's still, I hate, I, there's nothing worse than when somebody buys like a Springfield Echelon, right? Echelons, they don't sell 10 round mags for it. So I got to take this, this nice gun, 17 round mag, and then put a stupid block and epoxy in it or a prodigy guys buy prodigies, right? They've had a couple sell and I, I got to go ruin a, a 2011 mag. It's not the thing I love the most. Right. Well, the one thing I will say, at least Canada got this right. I mean, the rivet thing, like they can just rivet their mags, which is still. Sad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, the state here is interesting on their opinion of it. It's funny, the ATF doesn't care. The ATF, I talk to them, they're like, yeah, you do whatever you want. We don't care. That's a state thing. The state's like, no, 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 it's got to be this specific way. I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. You get to play arts and crafts with magazines. <laughs> it's exactly what it is, the best way to describe it. Well, that's cool. I mean, and it gives you a space, you know, to do your, you know, do your trigger work. Um, speaking of trigger work, what may, how did you come up with the shoe design? So the shoe design is a factory shoe design. I use a SIG standard shoe. Um, I just modify some of the internal geometry to make it work and, and you know, kind of get rid of some of the play and all of that. Um, I used another companies for a long time, a company called Carries Dynamics. Um, they made nice trigger shoes, but I think they got bought and then went out of business or something or the other. I, I don't, you can't get them anymore is all I, I know. And I, so obviously as a entrepreneur figure out I got to find another way and stick with SIG is probably the best way to do it. Um, so I use a factory SIG trigger shoe, um, very specific one that they sell, but it's the the best one for that purpose. Um, I have designed my own trigger shoe that I have in testing. I just haven't really put it out there more. I just, it's one of those things that I don't know what the market is really for it. And I don't know if it's worth my time to, to time and money and effort to really get it going. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day it's just, you know, like anything else, it's, 
a priority when I get to it. Right. So you're saying, so like if I looked at your Instagram, one of the, you know, the top things, so that's a factory SIG trigger shoe then? If it's a silver trigger shoe, no, that's the one that's from Carrie's Dynamics. Um, so that's one that's in my personal gun just because I happen to have it. But I can do the, the there's a video on there showing the reset and all that stuff. I can achieve the exact same thing with a factory flat trigger shoe. Actually, the curve too. both the flat and the curve work perfectly with that. It'll be gotcha. identical. And I still I have some of those shoes available. If somebody really wants one, I bought a late a, like a last stock of them as they were available. But yeah, I don't advertise that I have them. It's just if somebody like already has one that I did and wants to replace it, that's what it's for. Gotcha. Makes sense. They're very nice. They're a very aesthetically appeasing, uh, appealing shoe. Oh, that that center ribbon. It is really nice. Like I, I, you know, I didn't like it when I first set the gun up, but then I shot it more and more, and I was like, you know what? I really like this setup. And uh, you know, I, I'll look forward to the day I can get my shoe out on the out on the market and get it through enough testing to be comfortable getting it out there. I think it'll be able to fill a nice gap that's not really being served right now. Mm-hmm. Now on. Your, I see your uh, frame mount. Uh, is it, would that fit in a bucket holster, or does that have to be in a race holster? That's got to be in a race holster. Um, uh, well, I shouldn't say it. The, the, the ghost say frame mount. I mean your thumb rest. I apologize. Your frame rest. Your thumb rest. That depends on the on the holster. Like a ghost hydra might work, um, but it's meant for like an, a double alpha academy, like a true open holster. That's okay. what it was designed around, and that's what I think it's best meant for. Gotcha. Makes sense. It's very aesthetically pleasing too, and it's it's nice. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and the whole idea the whole idea behind that is that uh, any traditional thumb rest you would buy won't be in the right position on the three twenty because of the way the frame sits, the way the grip sits, and you have the takedown lever because uh, yeah. that thing's got to rotate. So that's designed to work around all that stuff already being there, so you can bolt it to the frame once and never have to worry about it again. Now. I mean, it's not as, I would say, as clean of an install as doing like a takedown lever one, but you get more adjustability because of that. So you can put it wherever the hell you want and it'll work perfectly. Yes, that is pretty legit. That is the one. And it's not going to move. So some of the ones go on the takedown lever, if you push on it too hard, it starts to rotate the lever. And it's like, you don't want to rotate that because that's how the gun comes out of battery when you're shooting. You don't want that. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely don't want that. So you mentioned throughout the show. Hiccups are, I don't know what it is today, but you mentioned throughout the show, you know, you help run a match um, in Jersey. Uh, what match is that? Uh, Shongham Sportsman's Association. So it's a you know, small local match. I think it's a really good beginner's match is what I'd call it. Um, it's where I started, um, you know, 25, 30 minutes from my house. I run it with uh, four, three other guys that, that, you know, there's a true match director, Ron, great guy has been doing it for, I think, 20 plus years. And then three other guys, uh, me and two other guys plus him that help run it day to day or month to month, you know, stage designs and getting all the uh, the fun stuff and the admin stuff sorted out. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm assuming this is the one where it kind of looks like you have one big bay and you stack a bunch of stages right next to each other. Yeah, so we've, we have uh, we do half the match on a rifle bay. So we try to do six stages a match, five, six if we can. And what we end up doing is typically like, uh, a classifier and two speed shoots or a steel all steel stage and a speed shoot down on a rifle range. So everything's, you know, vertical. There's really not a lot of angled shots because the berms really aren't set up for that. Mm-hmm. And then we have a, a pistol pit on the other half of the, the, the range there that has, you know, full, full visibility through the full 180 if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's where we can do a little bit more creativity with, you know, more traditional major, major match stage designs and, you know, throw a little bit more challenge out there. And then with the 10 rounds, it's, you can do a lot with a 10 round stage to really mess with people or, you know, what I should say is you can with like a 32 round stage really set up targets in a funny way to make you have to think. So well, make uh, people actually have to still reload, right? You know, you oh, can't yeah. just get lazy with their, you know, these rune tactical followers in your P320s and get 25 plus one in the gun or what is it? 24 no. plus one in the gun. Yeah. And then I think uh, Keanu, Keanu size got a follower. And a spring combo that'll do 25 plus one. I haven't tried them in the SIGs, but supposedly uh, they work. I mean, other people have tried them. I, I tried them in um, my open gun when I built that. And to be clear, his followers were not the issue I had at Nationals. I was using a different follower, but I did try his beforehand. And I was fitting 30 in a, in a big stick and it's in a, in a SIG, which I don't know. Like SIG sells a 30-round mag, but it doesn't fit the gauge. This is a 30-round mag that fit the gauge and had room to spare. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool setup using uh 
think I had Henning follower or Henning uh, base pads, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I had. I got to double check. Yeah. No, it, it, that is just, it's just so crazy. The technology and people on springs and followers and cramming as many bolts in the, you know, it just shows everyone wants to shoot open division, but doesn't want to pay for open division, but they want open mags. Absolutely. Um, and it, 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 you know, only having 10 rounds really, I think keeps that, that reload requirement pretty interesting. And you'll see people that like good people shoot production. They're not that far off of open and CO at our matches because there's just not enough advantage anymore, which is kind of interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and one benefit is when we go to matches that uh, have like a standard stage and everyone's laughing, like, oh, I have to reload. I'm like, I do this three, four times a stage. I don't even think about it anymore. It's just automatic. Keep going. <laughs> right. So um, I see also if looking at your Instagram, 90, like almost 99% of your stuff is you, you know, with an optic cover, like a, a target focus trainer or a, a dot occlusion tool. Um, has that... Uh, uh, do you use that all the time or is it most of the time or what's the breakdown? All the time. I, uh, I put it on probably two years ago. Um, I, I know it's a crutch and some people will say it's not meant to be used permanently. I'm sold on it. It just works better with my eyes. Um, I think I'm very visually impatient and the, the occlusion tool helps me track the dot better so I can get a better visualization the second time. I also like to run the dot as dim as physically possible and having a black cover there allows you to really keep it dim. I don't like the way my eyes work. I don't like a lot of things moving in my vision. So a bright red dot bouncing up and down on my vision just this doesn't work for me. It's distracting and I end up looking at the dot, not the target. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found target focus works for me. Even my concealed carry gun as the dot covered. Like that's how weird I am with it. I just, that's what I've done for everything. I'm just used to it and that's what I like. Mm-hmm. No, there's nothing wrong. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, some people would argue that it is, but if it helps think, you stay target focused and have good hits on paper, do rock on, right? I think with steel is where I saw the biggest difference is it forced me to be a little bit more deliberate with an aimed shot on steel. So not just aiming at the steel, aiming at the calibration zone on the steel. So like cognitively, my shots didn't slow down at all, but it was forcing me mentally to be a little bit more focused on where it was going. Um, Quite frankly, the only real downside to the whole thing is when you're leaning around the wall, you have to be a little bit more careful about over axis, you know, how high the dot is over the bore and make sure that you know your holdover. Um, I have definitely shot a wall or two unintentionally because um, I thought I had the clearance and I did not. Yeah, match director is probably like, darn you, Dan, you shot my wall. Yeah, uh, I've, I've damaged many walls either with that or racking a dot off a wall. I've done that a couple times and you know, <laughs> not, not, not the nicest on equipment. I'm good at breaking things. Right. Yeah, that isn't, isn't here nor there, right? It always... Uh... <laughs> You always got to be breaking something. If it's not guns, it's 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 walls. But no. No. Yep. But uh, so you're liking the dot occlusion. Um, it's something I did for a while. I haven't gotten back into it, but I probably should as a, a trainer. I'm still waiting on. Uh, oh God, what is this? Cover? Stonebridge Gunworks to make a RTS two cover. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I used a piece of a black electrical tape for a long time. Um, I have the Stonebridge Gunworks covers now mainly because of an experience at nationals when uh, the RO at, at, um, at Chrono was very adamant that I removed the, the dock cover and I had a piece of tape and I was like, I, I really can't. Cause if I take it off, I'm not getting it back on. Um, he, he was not very happy with me. He shot it. And then the next guy after me also had a dock cover and the guy didn't know how to hold the gun and shoot with both eyes open and shot the Chrono at nationals. So I don't think he was very happy with us. Um, but I've, since then, I've gotten the plastic cover, so you could just take it on and off. makes life easy. And frankly, if someone else picks up the gun, knowing that I give people the guns at most matches to test and try if they want, I want it to be something that anyone can use. Because if you're not used to using an occluded dot, it is a little um, awkward. Yeah. Was this a – this wasn't a Labradar-style chrono, was it? No, it was – no. Are you kidding me, Nationals? Come on now. <laughs> I mean, it all much. depends on who's running chrono and who's uh, – if, if that person is driving or not. But – uh. Because I do know a couple of people who like to run Chrono have two or three Lab Radar setups, and I, Area Eight does that right. They they run the Lab Radar the last two seasons. They've done that, and the last two Area Eights, and it's been great because that it just point in general direction. You're good to go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now these were the tr- traditional sort of uh, photo effect ones or photo uh, photo sensitive ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe we'll see Garmin rocking out. 
out there with their. their I saw GoPro. that. Yeah, no bigger than a like a, a GoPro, and it's it's uh it's crazy in my opinion how uh how small they're getting those things. Yeah, the repeatability is going to be interesting. Is you know how repeatable are they unit to unit? Because like the lab radars are pretty close. Like I've seen them within a few feet per second of each other. The the traditional photo chronos, I mean, God, I've seen them a hundred feet per second apart, um, right next to each other. So it's a little interesting how far off they can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it's it's probably got to be a pain in the butt if uh, if you were using maybe the Garmin because they are so much smaller, and then you got to try to read them. And but here nor yep. there, uh, it'd be cool. It, it's kind of cool. as what kind of technology we're seeing now nowadays, uh, you know, with red dots and um, chronos and whatnot. But I'm really excited for the RTS three to come out. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a Romeo Max SRO hybrid, but uh, on a, a Seymour footprint. That's the Seymour footprint. Yep. So then all, all those open guys can have cheap, uh, cheap uh, Romeo Maxes on our open guns again. <laughs> I'm very fortunate that Sig sent me a few of those to, to run at a very nice price. So I didn't have to worry about the, the cost of them. I think I've got four of them now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How many now, to be in full honesty, how many times have you had to send a dot back for repair? Never. What? I have never had a dot fail on me, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> for sure. I, and I mean, I, my first Romeo 3XL I got, I actually got that one from Christian Seiler. He uh, he was selling it on Enos, so I picked it up off of him. Uh, I don't think he had shot it, if memory serves me right, but I put it on top of my first slide ride open gun. So I was a slide ride uh, 9 major 320. So I want to talk about something that's going to beat up a dot, put a couple thousand rounds to that thing. Dot never moved. I was fine. Um, I have never sent one back, thankfully. And I've had... SRO, I've had one SRO and then I've got four or five, I think I've got four Romeo 3 XLs and one Romeo 3 Max and I've not had an issue with any of them, thankfully. Yes, thankfully, right? You don't, I, I wouldn't wish anyone to have dot issues because then you're not, you're not beating them on their best day, you're beating them because their equipment failed them. And I, I, mean, and I think what I've seen, right, is most guys running, like you look at the, the say the two major platforms you see in USPSA, right? The SIG 320 and the, the Shadow 2s. Like the open guns don't really put a lot of stress on dots. Um, at least they shouldn't if they're done right, right? Because the dot's not reciprocating. Um, but I see most of the guys that seem to have dot issues, it's on Shadow 2s. I think it's because guys run such light recoil springs in Shadow 2s, like eight or nine pound recoil springs. I Me, mean, you got, you've got a hammer spring you got to overcome, but those are lightened too. I think it's just, you know, bashing shit out of the dot, frankly speaking. Um, 320s, you can't really get away with having that light of a spring because you don't have anything but the recoil spring. Like 12 is about the lightest you can really go safely in a 320 without it not going back in the battery reliably. Um, I know guys run 10s and I look at them like, you need to stop doing that. It's not, it, it ain't going to last. Um, but I think that's part of it. I think that the Shadow 2 is just because the slide is so light and moves so fast, I think it just beats the shit out of dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Tanfo had the same problem too. Yeah, basically just the copycat design, right? I know a Tanfo Timmy, I know has not had a lot of luck with dots, and I know he runs a Tanfo with a light spring in it. So I, I'm I'm going to guess that's probably part of it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious on how Hempel's doing with his dots because he's shooting that IWI Tanfo CZ clone thing. Well, he he had an SRO crack at the optic crack actually at the the through holes through the dot itself where it mounts to the frame. He had one of those crack right before, I think it was area eight or nationals. He showed me a picture of it. It was wild. Oh, uh, oh, I so I, I think there's definitely something to that. And uh, I know like my shadow too, I have a Romy or sorry, I have an SRO on top of that um, mainly because I, I can't find, well, I don't think they make an optic mount that drops right on for the Romeo threes without sending it out for somebody to machine it. Um, I mean, I could mill it too. I'm just too lazy to do that. So I have my SRO on top of that. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, that's kind of cool. Um, Dan, we're kind of getting near the end of the time for us tonight, but I do have a couple more questions for you. But uh, so if there was something that current Dan could tell past Dan about shooting, what would that be? So I started shooting uh, kind of, I think there's two camps, right? Either go really fast and accurately or go really accurate and slow and then try to get your hits and speed up over time. I started with the go really fast and not hit anything category. Um, I think I waited a little too long to realize that you actually have to look at the dot twice to be able to get hits. Um, you can't rely on pure muscle memory for, for everything. So that'd probably be my best thing. Um, that'd be the biggest piece. I, I think USPSA has been a phenomenal community and I, I 
I don't think I would uh, look to change anything about that, but it's definitely about the, the skill set. I waited a little too long for that to click in my head. I will thank Mason Lane for that. I took a course with him a couple of years ago that really changed the trajectory of how I shoot and how I approach things. And it made a very marked difference in how I shot and, and my performance. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's something too. People don't take classes soon enough and they try to just slug it out on their own when go get some instruction, go get some, uh, go get some training. Let's pay somebody else to watch you shoot and tell you what you're not doing right, because it's going to save you time and money. I will say, I, I do think, I do think there's a lot of value in that. I also, my personal take, right. I waited till I was, you know, a class uh, and, and borderline getting into M before I went to see anybody. And I, I think I would do that again. I wouldn't change that mainly because it allowed me to really know what I wasn't doing well. Like I already knew where my, my weak spots were. I needed someone to help me really hone in on what to do to fix that. Um, and I think, I think I got the most value out of that because I sort of already knew where, where some of my weak spots were and I just needed that additional kick and push and Mason helped me see that. And that's where I think it helped me tremendously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And, and yeah, definitely knowing your own deficiencies helps because you're not blindly thinking too, right? You know, you're, you're already kind of, you know, that and, and like, you know, if you're, if you're early on in your, your shooting career, right. And, and you're like, I want to be a GM and you've not seen any sort of like glimpse that it's possible. Like you need to have a certain amount of raw speed to be an M or GM. Like, I don't care how accurate you are. There's a level where you just need to be fast, right? There is a piece of that. I've always had that and I, I saw glimpses of it. So I knew that I had the capability. I just needed to find someone to help me hone in all the other stuff. And that's exactly what I did. And it, it made a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Now, some people don't like this. I love this question because I stole it from Jay Beal and David Riddle of the Casual Shooters podcast. What is your make ready like? <laughs> yeah, most of it's uh, memorization, right? So I just try to visualize everything at least twice. Um, you know, I, I had a very bad FTSA many years ago, and I vowed to never have another one. I think I've had one since then. Um, I just really try to make sure I see everything what I want to do and um, remind myself to, to do the things that I want to do grip-wise. Because if you're going to be fast, it has to be instinctual. You can't be thinking – I truly think you can't be thinking midway through the stage, right? Unless something goes wrong, then you got to problem solve. Hey, do I have enough rounds to make it to the next position or something like that? But you, you want it to be as, as um, automatic as possible. And I'll take a quote uh, local GM, uh, Chris Sandelsky, said to me a few years ago, Really, really good guy. He said, if you can't remember the stage with your eyes closed, you can't shoot it fast. Um, so I sit there now as I'm doing before I make ready, close my eyes and, and make sure, hey, I remember what all the positions and targets are. And maybe not always during my make ready because I'm not trying to have people fall asleep while I'm standing there. But, um, you know, it's part of my routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I don't know, there's a lot of people who will stand up there and spend like an eternity up there before they get ready to shoot. And then you're just like, where's the popcorn at? <laughs> I try to do most of it before I step to the line, right? I try to get most of my head in the game before. And now you work in a local match a little harder because I'm, I'm usually running a timer and I'm like running a timer until I'm the next shooter kind of thing because I'm an ROCRO. So you got to help keep things moving. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, nonetheless, I try to do as much as I can before I step up. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't treat every match the same. Like local matches, I don't treat with any... I treat it seriously, but I don't sit there and have an expectation for myself. Like majors, it's a little bit different. I have a very different mental mentality when I approach them. Um, probably not the best thing to do, frankly. I, I do think having consistency is probably better, uh, but it is what it is. I think I'm there locals to have fun, not necessarily to do well. Doing well is an outcome, in my opinion, not not necessarily something I'm deliberately trying to do. All right, absolutely. Now, so this is so Dan. This is the part where I like to pay it back to the people who support you, or you know, you're affiliated with. So this is like where you can plug like your sponsors, your people that, you know, you just want to shout out at this point. Yeah. I, I think, I think more than sponsors, I, I think there's a lot of just local people that have been very helpful to me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, certainly the, the whole group shenanigans squad. So they'll know who all they, all of them are the groups that got me into this and have kept shooting fun. Uh, frankly speaking, I would have stopped this many years ago if it wasn't for them. Um, it's gotta be fun. Otherwise I won't do it. Um, I have to thank, you know, definitely like people like Rob Hewins, people like you who are willing to reach out to people like me and, and let us get a chance to talk about the things that we do and having fun. Um, definitely Mason Lane. He's been very instrumental in that. Even though it was only one course I took with him, one class I took with him, very instrumental to helping me get where I'm at. Um, and then, yeah, certainly I'll give a plug to my own shop. Um, so Good Guys Guns New Jersey, New York, and Long Island. 
Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for for that relationship between the, the, the group of us that, that run those. So that's been very instrumental to how I've gotten here. Um, a lot of people along the way that have helped kind of shape my shooting career and have helped me make make moves in the industry. Some people up at SIG for sure have helped make that happen. And I'm very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. No, that is that is tremendous, right? You know, the people who can help you out, uh, you know, help out the, you know, the average day shooter, be able to provide a service to others, you know, like the gun shops, you know, you are helping the Second Amendment out in, you know, New, New Jersey, yeah. New York and Long Island. You know, you're helping people, uh, you know, defend themselves or, you know, recreationally, you know, they can go buy what they want to go buy and, uh, you know, still have a good time. So that's always a good thing, too. But, uh, you know, we do this for the community of the shooting sports, right? You know, there's always the good people out there that you always hang out. You always enjoy seeing or you like there's people. I, I know I have them. You'll see them once in, once a year at a major match you go to. And, you know, it's like, it's not like like you skipped a beat. Like, um, I don't know. You know, do you know uh, Trace Decker? I've met him uh, once or twice over the years. I don't know him well, but I have met him a couple times. Met him. At, I think he was there at Virginia State match that I, I ROed at, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Well, Trace normally travels with his brother and a very old guy, like an older guy with a beard named Rick. You know, and I absolutely love seeing Rick because he's an old guy. He still shoots limited. Um, he might not be having the best match, but he's always a good guy to see, and he always I always appreciate seeing him, and he always appreciates seeing me. So it's one of those people, you know, that's what you do. You come in for the community to talk to people. It's like, how you doing, man? You know, haven't seen you in a while. And it's not, it's like, it's like I haven't even skipped a beat. And that's why I kind of love this sport as it is. But um, yeah, I mean, I love, I love that. I, I, so I took this to leap to do RO and CRO a couple of years ago. I, I wanted to do that. Um, you know, I, I think uh, actually Logan, um, Logan got me into that 357 souls. He was the one sort of said, Hey, why don't we go take a CRO class together down at uh, Quantico? And that guy's been instrumental in helping me get into this where I'm at and been very helpful and an early supporter of the 320 trigger work I was doing. He's one of the first ones they did out there. And uh, through that, like I look at all the people I've met, I work like last year, I think I worked eight or nine matches and a couple made quite a few majors out of that. And just the people you see every every time you're coming through that and seeing everybody, there's very few squads. I don't know at least one or two people on them now, or I don't recognize them. And I think that's the best part of the sport. And to your point, may not be somebody you see more than once a year, but it's still fun to see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it, it, it truly is. But um, but Dan, um, where if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way, and where can they find you? Yeah, it's the easiest is through through Instagram, frankly. Uh, Sussex Gunworks, Sussex underscore Gunworks on Instagram is probably the easiest way to go to hold of me. Um, I, I check that fairly frequently. Um, through that, we can talk about anything, whether it be trigger work questions or uh, the local shop in New Jersey. Um, it all comes through one place, um, and that links to websites and other things, but most of it's always there. It's the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome, people. So if you want trigger work done by Sussex Gunworks, hit up Dan. Um, you, won't be, you won't be disappointed, but, uh, you know, Dan, brother, thank you for your time and hanging out with me and chit-chat and just having a good old time on the internet. So I appreciate your time away from, you know, your dog who is quietly now playing with her, not without squeaking on the toy. She, she's pacing out the door now just looking at me like, hey, why haven't you taken me out yet? You know, so it's funny how she's, she won't go away. Yeah, well, she needs you. That's how it works, right? Amen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you, brother, for your time. And to the listeners, get out and do the things. I will see you on the next one.